I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. Hello and welcome to On In 5. I'm Anton Ryder. I hey, tell Tony, you introductions are out the window. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's casual Friday, baby. The fellas are, are in the same room. <laughs> we are all here. We're in the Woo! same room for literally the second time yeah. since we have started this series. Episode 1 and this one. Guns N' Roses it. Part 1 and now Nine Inch Nails Part 2. I don't even know what episode this is, but it's been a while. Yeah. Too long. Too long. long. Time. God, it's good to look at your guys' face again. <laughs> look at that. It's yeah. so personable. Oh, you're getting yeah. all rosy cheeked here. <laughs> yeah, if you were just crying a little bit. God, I got a whole tumbler full of whiskey, and we're talking about yeah, we're just not... a, some someone very important here, and couldn't couldn't ask for more. A literal innovator in music. Oh, man. <sighs> so fun. He's just so good at everything he does. Yeah. He never does anything wrong. We're so, not, but we're going to be <laughs> just about lit enough to get it right. So I got to ask you guys before we start, how you doing tonight? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Ethan? I'm doing great. I have Clamato in my hand. Ooh. That's disgusting. <laughs> so good. It's pretty the, weird. It's it pretty pretty gross to even look at the can. Oh, <laughs> Bud on. Light Chiladas. Mm. When you've got Bud Light and Clam in the same on the same label... Yeah, it's just—it's a little. <laughs> I don't know about it. Yeah, I don't know which one makes the other. Worse. Got my dad sitting across from me here. <laughs> That's my dad's eye. That's Austin's literal nightmare. It. How old are you now, Austin? <laughs> <laughs> the years don't change. Just, just the neglect. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, wonderful. I'm ready to dive right into this. Well, I say, yeah, I say we just freaking go ahead and get started. So, when we last left off, Trent had moved labels from the hated TVT records to a much more accommodating Interscope records. Endlessly more accommodating. Literally just let him do whatever he wanted. Thank God for it. Yeah, it was such a good move for him. Uh, Where he released the EP Broken, a full-length EP, which did incredibly well. Instead of touring this album, he decided to get to work on his second full-length album. Much like the Pretty Hate Machine to Broken, Trent wanted to try and reinvent himself and his sound, as his attitude had now changed. He had written and recorded Broken when he was in a very dark place dealing with uh, uh, Steve Gottlieb or whatever his name was in TVT, and so now that he was past that, he didn't want to dwell on it any longer. If you remember, Broken was a really, really angry album, and so he wanted to make something that was more melodic and more um, comforting to listen to, I guess, as, as comforting as any Nine Inch Nails music can be. So different, but <laughs> yeah. still so the same. It's very good. <laughs> Instead, he wanted to explore some new feelings and concepts that he had been working and thinking about for uh, quite a while. Like, knowing what I know about this album, these are some pretty heavy concepts to be thinking about for oh, a yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, pretty it's heavy dark. stuff. Say, yeah. This is some pretty dark stuff. <laughs> and this, I mean, this album, like, I've even, like, the main song, Closer, the My Whole Existence is Flawed, that's... Middle school Austin. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about me is flawed, man. I hate myself. Oh, it's all wrong. It couldn't be more oh, wrong. The, yeah, the album that he creates is definitely the most uh, popular album and the biggest album that he creates. It's got his biggest hits on it, basically. Yeah. Um, so back when the band was touring, he was having a hard time working with touring guest guitarist Richard Patrick, who was a hired hand, and he was seeing that his band was really invoking some pretty negative energy and the shows were really invoking some negative energy. He didn't enjoy that the crowds were responding more to the group being violent than playing a good 
good sounding show. That's really what it had become. Like everyone was so focused on these live shows and all the shenanigans is not a good word for it but like all the (laughs) all the destruction and all the angst that was going into it they expected the band to be really really violent and that's not what you want when you create a show you want people to enjoy your music and not the fact that you're breaking things and (laughs) so he didn't enjoy that that was happening um he had also turned really pretty heavily to alcohol and drugs during this tour to help him cope and so he wanted to take his dry his drunken violent angry tour a so-called downward spiral hey and try and milk the emotion into a concept album. He knew that if he was going to try and write and record this album, he was going to need to leave the place that he now called home, Cleveland. I don't know why anyone would leave such a wonderful, beautiful city in the heart in the Midwest. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, beautiful baby. That's about all that's there. And yeah, without Cleveland, we wouldn't have, um, you know, the Drew Carey show. So That's true, yeah. We wouldn't have Steel Beams and... <laughs> we wouldn't have Drew Carey. <laughs> the, the Browns, are they yeah. any good? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fine. Yeah, Might whatever. Fine. Yeah, uh, I know a lot about football. Yeah, right? football. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't think that the town supported him, Cleveland, in a way that was conducive to writing a concept album like this. So he made a plan to leave. He originally wanted to head down south to New Orleans, a place that he had visited while on tour and really, really enjoyed. He kind of fell in love with New Orleans. He got so far to even get a place set up down there, but the deal eventually fell through. Okay, good. Yeah. Just making sure. Thank you. Um, and so he decided that instead of looking for a new place, he was going to try and find a new home in a different town. In a different town. And so he looked 1,900 miles away in Los Angeles. Beautiful Lohenly. Oh, where else are you going to go? <laughs> of course. Well, yeah. That's. I mean, that is... Cleveland and New Orleans, not the most conducive city to <laughs> They're like. A little differently. You know, you New know. Orleans is like, there's a lot of creatives down there. I suppose. I know if that. you're into like witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think it's yeah. pretty weird, but I think there's a lot of creatives, which is good. Juju witchcraft. Yeah, like, <laughs> all they got is gumbo and witchcraft. <laughs> all, which, all, really not all, a bad combo. It smells <laughs> like puke, so. <laughs> And again, puke and grenades. <laughs> yeah, one causes the other. <laughs> Count me in. Um, so yeah, he he decided instead to go to Los Angeles, where there was much more um, creative activity happening. He rented a house there and set up an in-home studio that he could record with his now trusted producer Flood. He did some searching, and after a long day of looking at a ton of places, he eventually found a home for rent, and, and it was a really really good deal and it was uh, too good of a deal (laughs) something was a little fishy about this place it was a multi-million dollar 3,000 square foot home with a 2,000 square foot guest house on the property on the three acres of land and was available for a modest $11,000 a month which was modest. Yeah, for, what a chunk of property. Huh. Wow. How nice it was. Why it's so affordable. <laughs> this must have been a really, they were really motivated to rent. Some, yeah. Someone wanted <laughs> someone else to fill that house. Uh, Trent thought this was an awesome deal and snatched it up as quick as he could, but this place was anything but paradise, as Austin and Ethan will explain now. All right, so 10,050 Cielo Drive. Uh, so initially, we'll start with Dennis Wilson befriended a man named Charles Manson. Oh, you're bringing the Beach Boys in. <laughs> yeah, We've got to drag uh, them through this. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to say Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys <laughs> brought a friend he had met named Charles Manson, who was a, a leader of a, a small cult, to uh, a house to meet some music business people that he knew there. At the time, uh, the a producer for the band The Birds actually owned the house, 
and uh, his name was Terry Melcher. And then uh, later, Melcher would rent out the house to uh, Roman, yeah, Roman Polanski and his girlfriend Sharon Tate. I think Roman Polanski um, directed uh, Rosemary's Baby. Yes, yeah, which is did. pretty fun. About, yep. Yep. which is basically about cutting a baby out. Of a <laughs> There's also many <laughs> other know. things you can say about Polanski that are not <laughs> well, great that yeah. we don't need to get into, but. <laughs> but, 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 you know, bottom line, this house was very cheap because a lot of people were brutally slaughtered in it. If you have any any recollection of the Charles Manson, Sharon Tate uh, debacle, that that's this house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where Sharon Tate and uh, I believe the Folgers heiress, uh, she was I think killed there as yeah. well. Yeah. And there was uh, three more other people. Um, yeah. They, uh, her husband and, you know, people that matter. Yeah, <laughs> pretty but, important people. Pretty but, important uh, died. People. Yeah, so that's that might be why this was so cheap. I don't. Yes. Uh, so um, to kind of summarize, Charles Manson sent his followers into this house one night to basically murder who was ever was in there, and who was in there was eight months pregnant Sharon Tate who was having a party with a bunch of friends. And so these followers of Charles Manson killed five people and an unborn baby. And then, to make it worse, they wrote Helter Skelter and Le Pig on the wall in Sharon Tate's blood. Hold on, I think we need to correct. I th- didn't they write Le Pig on the door? I, I thought think. they wrote something else, Pigs. I didn't think they wrote Le Pig, did they? Oh, oh maybe like they it? wrote, maybe they it... just wrote Pigs. Yeah, I thought it was something like they, that. Well, they, at the very least, they wrote something In that had to do with Pigs. Yeah. And um, so that's the house that he moved into, and he, un- unbeknownst to him. So he said that the first night. Claims unbeknownst, but yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Uh, so he said the first night that he was there, he was so scared and barely slept. And at one point, he looked out the window, and there was just a coyote staring at him, which is horrifying, even if it's a house that no one's been murdered and, in. Any house you're in, that is scary. <laughs> if that happens, that's this pretty makes scary. It worse. When uh, I drive and see a coyote, it's terrifying. Yeah, I don't I, like coyotes. <laughs> just to clarify, they yeah. did only write pigs on, on the wall. Uh, lay pig is something we'll get into. There here we go. Minute, yes. Um, so... But Trent stuck to his guns and decided to stay in the house. And this house, which he dubbed Lay Pig, as we just explained. Tex Watson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get into it too much, but one of Charles Manson's right-hand guys wrote Pig on the on the door in Sharon's blood. So. In Sharon I'm here to Tate's do the devil's blood. work. Yep. That, yep, that's Tex. Yep. And that would be where he would record his next album over the next year. Whether the house was haunted or not, they dealt with a lot of technical issues with the equipment not working properly, which they blamed on Sharon and the other supernatural entities in the house. And Trent was seeming to have a hard time with writer's block and then also doing a lot of drugs, a lot of cocaine and heroin. Uh, another little story is he had a friend come to this house and it was just the two of them and they were trying to make a roast chicken together and he said they had it in the oven for like four hours and it was still raw, still bloody. Yeah. And did not fuck at all. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty weird. And they had definitely cooked other things in there before. It wasn't just like a faulty stove. <laughs> yeah. Just the chicken blood, huh? Yep. Just a little chicken blood. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. So they began work on the next album shortly after they moved in in July 1992. And they hoped to be done by the beginning of 1993, but these roadblocks really slowed them down. Uh, And so he was struggling not only with drugs and depression, but also with the recording process itself. He found out that it took a lot more time than he thought to set up a studio and get everything working properly. And then also with all these technical difficulties, uh, be it supernatural or not, 
it took a lot longer. So he had no idea what to write about and how to record what he was thinking and wanted to put to the page. He didn't know what to play, what to sample, and what to engineer. So after a conversation with pretty um, famous producer Rick Rubin, the head of the label Deaf America, who told him that he should just make an album for himself and not worry about what anyone else wanted, Trent buckled down and got to work. And uh, he was like, basically he just said he just wanted to finish the album just so that the label would be ready for it. And, and Rick Rubin was like, no, you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. Trent was trying to just put something out to please the label basically at this point and Rick Rubin was like what what is the point if you're not creating something for yourself something that you view as a piece of art what's the point yeah you're just going to create garbage and yeah. it's not going to do well and wouldn't yeah. be worth anything for you so why do it because he had he had had stuff down and it was not something he was happy with so it all got scrapped yeah quick we should do Rick Rubin at some point because oh, he has so many good albums underneath his belt that he's produced yeah like I watched the uh what was it um was it Volume 3, the Subliminal Verses making of? He did that for There's Slipknot. Some. Okay, yeah. And, I can't remember where they did that. They had similar things where they would just leave the uh, equipment recording because it was also a haunted place that they did Volume 3. I can't remember where, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, we'll get into fun, that someday. Fun, someday. Yeah, if you ever listen to the end of Duality... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's got weird... That part where Corey is almost just like doing that talking take over and over, that is yeah. not something that they they did. It basically <laughs> really? got added to the end of yeah. the track without their it was just, permission, quote-unquote. It was just running, and that was what came out of the recording. <laughs> yeah. That's just a fun fact about Slipknot, which we will get to which eventually. Which doesn't have that part that's on loop, this. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. I didn't yep. know that. Yep. yep. has nothing to do with this episode, but it's a fun fact all the same. <laughs> um, so sampling some uh, songs as well as movies, including Iggy Pop's Nightclubbing, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alien, The Elephant Man, and Sorcerer, as well as playing a variety of instruments, Trent had a unique way of building his songs. He would play the instrument for a period of time without any vision. So he'd basically like grab a guitar and just play it while recording for like 20 minutes. And then after he was done, he would listen back to the parts that he had just recorded and he would cut out the parts that he liked. So he figured there's a cool eight second little lick that I do here. And then he would throw it on the, on the floor. And then he would, that's, he would then take those and cut and paste those into the songs he wanted. He would also play parts. And then in post, he would speed them up or slow them down to inhuman speeds. Then he would take those parts and paste them into the songs to build them out. And he didn't work on this album alone. Yeah. Like, Tony just said uh, he he will have several people come in and what he'll do is just tell them do this kind of guitar part just anything you want and then they just cut it up and chunked it into other songs they just had artists record for like an hour straight it, whatever they wanted to do cut it up chunked it out he didn't it's, care what literally what yeah, they did it was here's this kind of this beat per minute do something to this yep is so cool. Yep. So with Gosh. help from Jane's Addiction drummer Steve Perkins, Chris Vrenna, who has worked with him before, and famous guitarist Adrian Bello from King Crimson, who are a pretty famous prog rock band from the late sixties, early seventies. He was a incredible yeah. guitarist. Uh, they made a fourteen song masterpiece. The Downward Spiral was released on March eighth, nineteen ninety four, and was an instant success. It reached number two on the Billboard charts and to date has sold over four million copies and went quadruple platinum. Its more subtle and subdued instrumentals and introverted lyrics hit the heartstrings of the mainstream music listeners and the sales reflected that. It was an innovative album that changed people's perception of the band without the band losing sight of itself. 
this album is so cool in the way that it is classic Nine Inch Nails, but still completely different. He said his whole idea was he wanted to make music that sounded like instruments, but that no one could possibly play, like no human could possibly replicate. And so, and he also really, for me, reinforced how awesome whispering can be in a song. Yeah, oh, it can yeah. be even more powerful than screaming, but it can also be pretty cheesy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he did done it very well. well. Yeah, done tastefully. It doesn't sound like you're trying to seduce the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you can get into that trap pretty easily. I've yeah. Learned. You don't sound angsty. You just you just sound like you're whispering out of mic. Yeah. That's <laughs> not does not it's hit a well. Fine line. Trent did it well though. And and this is the album um that has a lot of his biggest hits on it. So Interscope released March of the Pigs and Closer. He has two songs that are pig related, which is a little tasteless, but that's he fine. does he does say specifically he had these ideas way before they found the place. Claims that he had no idea that that place was involved in the murders. You know, you got you to gotta take it and believe it if you want. <laughs> I got to think you might. Bullshit. I, <laughs> probably a lie. Bullshit. <laughs> and I think you maybe have a little bit of an idea. <laughs> maybe felt bad about it later. Based on everything this guy has done in order to push people past their comfort zone, I got to think you might have had an idea. Hey, might have known. Doing, doing, yeah. So Interscope released March of the Pigs, like I said, and then Closer as singles. And um, the just... I, I kind of plan on doing a bonus episode of where the samples for a lot of his songs came from. And so I'm going to just give you a little taste right now. The closer at the beginning, it just kind of goes like. <laughs> that is what comes from the Iggy Pops night clubbing, clubbing where uh, in, in that song, it's kind of like. And then he like takes it and basically cuts it off to be more harsh, and that's where the hmm. uh, backbeat for all of Closer comes from. Nice. A tidbit, kind of a tidbit, kind of a fun, kind of fun. Thanks. Uh, and then they released Hurt and Piggy as a radio single, and then Hurt is, I'm gonna say Hurt is probably his most famous song. Because, because of Johnny Cash. Because of Johnny Cash, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, Johnny yeah. Cash does a single of, or does a, does a, uh, he does a version of Hurt in 2000 and early 2000s. And yeah, he really brought it to the line, to the mainstream. But I mean, I'm pretty sure there was an interview where Trent even said, it's not my song anymore. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is my... a good cover. It's a good cover. So, both, so I mean, both versions. And it was like, it was like, like Nine Inch Nails right more, before but... Johnny Cash died. Yeah. too. Yeah. That was one of his yeah. last songs. Yeah. That he did. So it was a big thing for him. Uh, they also released two music videos for the album, March of the Pigs, directed by Peter Christofferson, who is a popular music video director and had worked with Nine Inch Nails on Wish and Pinion, as well as bands like Ministry, Van Halen, Rage Against the Machine, and Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant. The music video was a simple one-shot take of the band in a white room playing the song, so I'm not actually sure how much directing there was, but all the same. You know what, Tony? Who's going to make the coffee? Who's going to cater the food? That's, you know, that's not the director. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like you don't know this how is, a video shoot works. This is a serious question. I don't know the answers. <laughs> I'm actually looking for, I'm actually trying to Just gain information. Here. There's to, a pretty big jump from director to like to, runner. Yeah, to like, to, to, to yeah. Well, now I know. <laughs> Yeah, no, he, going to get the donuts. Yeah, Peter Christofferson was not the intern. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> no, if you watch the video, it's even before the video. It starts like five seconds before the music starts, so it's just like 
Trent and the band just kind of standing around, and then it starts, and they do their thing. Whatever, it's fine. But it's yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. It's just fine. The other song was a video for Closer. Better than fine. It was directed by Mark Ramanak, who was another popular director who had worked with bands like REM, uh, The Weeknd. I'm assuming that's Weekend. Maybe I typed it wrong. <laughs> You know, I saw that, and I wasn't sure what you meant. So I what just, Tony typed I, is weaked. I, yeah, I was saying, I thought, I thought, maybe, I the, I thought maybe weaked was a thing, so I Not left sure. it. I, I did go over a lot, just for Not the record. Sure. None of us know. I can't so. feel my face when I'm with you, and I love it. Uh, he also worked with Michael and Janet Jackson, and he was actually the director of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off music video. Trent said that he was like, we did these broken videos, we did... We, we did basically what was like a homemade handy cam snuff film. Now let's get someone who does the most polished highbrow videos. I think he literally said, let's get the guy that did that piece of shit Michael Jackson video. <laughs> Just something, yeah, something that's obviously right, going to be able to make it on mainstream. Yeah. Um, but this video was super different than anything that I feel Mark had done in the past like or in the future. <laughs> in the future. Yeah, Shake yeah, yeah. I love Shake It Off. Just, just a. It's a fun music video. Just a point. Um, it showed a naked woman in a mask, a monkey tied to a cross, and a sawed-off pig hanging from hooks. Despite the somewhat graphic and explicit imagery, the video found its way to MTV, albeit censored, where it had a ton of airtime. I literally remember being babysat and probably like eight years old and seeing this music video, like this song, and I couldn't, like, I never made the connection of. Uh, I want to blank you like an animal as a kid. So I could like, I'd like, Oh yeah. Until I was an adult, I didn't know what he was saying. Oh yeah. I am yeah. very sure. Yeah. When the, the censored yeah. version is like, I want to, you like you animal. animal. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like, what are you saying? Like I had no idea as a kid and could I not make that. I love you like an <laughs> yeah. animal. Cause there, it's yeah. just a, I want to, you like an yeah. animal. That but, video is yeah. so cool. Uh, but in true Trent fashion, Everything that they made him censor, rather than changing it, they just put like, spliced in censor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's great, and it just wasn't a, like a kind of fuck you. Like we're not gonna change it. We're just gonna blatantly show you made us cut this out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're not even. Yeah, we're not even gonna try yeah. and hide it. God, it's great. Uh, later, they would also put out a video for Hurt, a live video for Wish, which already had a music video, and a video for The Perfect Drug, and then a live video for Eraser. But that one actually never aired. Shame. So while recording this album, Trent also got to put the label Interscope had allowed him to have back to work in 1992 called Nothing Records. And they actually got to sign their first act around this time. It was a young man who was in the goth-leaning industrial scene, stage named Marilyn Manson. The beautiful people, the beautiful people. Oh, <laughs> uh, we won't talk much about him right now because it's so are, hard not to. Yeah, we are definitely going to do an episode on him in the future. Uh, but this is where Manson got his rise, and he even recorded some of the songs for his debut album in Trent's studio. It should be pointed out that Marilyn Manson's stage name came from him wanting to mash up a female sex symbol with a serial killer. So for this, it was Marilyn Monroe with Charles Manson. And his whole band dude did this. Like, it was like, uh, I, I, I can't name any of uh, right Twiggy now. Twiggy Ramirez. Twiggy was like a supermodel from UK. Richard Ramirez Richard was Man. a serial killer, so they added that. He played uh, bass and guitar, I'm pretty sure. And then... Uh, one was like uh, Jaja Speck, which is Jaja Gabor, and, and then Richard, uh, Speck. Richard Speck, yeah, yeah, who was a spree killer. Yeah, yeah. So. so they all did this. This whole band did this. Um, but 
Charles Manson obviously played a part as we spoke of about 15 minutes ago because he was now recording he had recorded his debut album in a house where Charles Manson had directed the murder of five people and an unborn baby just 24 years earlier and he had picked this name way before this like this was not correlated so this was divine providence for Marilyn Manson idiosyncrasy edgy <laughs> oh that's yeah that's but that's a, what trent loved like this is a singularity this right band there. was pushing the limits majorly and mm-hmm. he thought it was very original and that they were also they had a lot of integrity they didn't as, if you know anything about marilyn manson there's no backing down from anything yeah <laughs> nope. and if you don't know anything about marilyn manson stay tuned yeah. we'll do them eventually eventually <laughs> so he also recorded a part on the song pass the mission for fellow singer and friend tori amos this is who tried cooking the uh the chicken for yeah. him and she's a uh kind of a semi-famous like 80s and 90s like mm. punk she's very singer. different yeah. yeah very good she's like the a better sonito O'Connor. that was the whole reason they got along so well was trent said he originally listened to her and he was like i don't like this at all but it is definitely going for something people aren't doing yeah yeah, which was Trent loved originality, yeah. so he he dove into it. Um, and so this song would actually appear on her album, which came out about the same time as The Downward Spiral. And once the album came out, Trent's time at Le Pig was done. After he left, he actually decided to come back back to the house uh, and take a souvenir from the house. Small which, souvenir. Tiny yeah, a little, little bit. So he popped the front door <laughs> off its hinges, which had pig written on it in Sharon Tate's blood 24 years earlier, and this would actually become the front door for Nothing Records in his studio in New Orleans. And shortly after he left, the house was torn down. Trent actually got approached by Sharon Tate's sister, Patty, and she asked him personally if he was exploiting her murder in the house to like get famous for his album uh, and he like I mean, obviously was like no that's that's not what i'm doing and he said that night you went home and just cried he yeah still he just felt terrible that's not what he was doing but <laughs> felt terrible and yeah. like decided like where it kind of yeah like where he's like like, a fuck charles manson like he didn't like the idea anymore well we were saying before the episode like this was the first time after after uh patty approached him he's like yeah, people died here. Yeah, this is like a real... Yeah, he said it did not ever really hit him before, which is easy to do in this whole, like... Even, even now, true crime is more of a fad than ever, and it's so easy to just think, oh, what a cool story. Just yeah. gloss over. And someone actually was Humans like, actually died. And then you meet her sister, and, and a baby you're like, was cut out of someone's stomach. Like, yeah. In re- yeah. It all happened. Like, it's really, real, really fast. Real. Yeah. <laughs> he said this was the moment where that really hit him. Yeah, he actually got to meet the sister of Sharon Tate, which is really sad. I also, imagine that'll do it. Also, Roman Polanski was heartbroken by this, but that doesn't matter. Um, so, <laughs> so he had to once again head out on the road to tour his new album. This meant, once again, putting together a band. He wasn't thrilled with touring, but understood it was a necessary... A, but understood it was a necessary a necessary evil <laughs> but understood it was a necessary evil uh when you're in a band so he brought back chris Vrenna, who had helped on the previous albums and tours and this album uh who played drums and then james woolley on keyboard and then brought in robin fink on guitar this guy would as you may remember go on to help write chinese democracy and if you go look up the self-destruct tour he is the guitarist for that whole thing wouldn't peg him for playing in guns and roses <laughs> no nope. doesn't look point, the part no at one point he literally has his head shaved except all of his sideburns and like around the back so he's like 
shaved a George Costanza haircut with like really long sideburns. Hell yeah. <laughs> Not uh, the kind of guy you'd see in Guns N' Roses, but no, he did. Well, that's pretty to, tight. Why'd you have to bring Costanza in? <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to paint a vivid picture you, here. You've done it. You've done it. Uh, so Donnie Lohner was on bass, and then Charlie Klauser was on keyboard for another leg of the tour. And in March 1994, they hit the road for what would be a two-and-a-half-year tour. And if you listen to our episode on Typo Negative, this is the tour where the two bands toured together. Nine Inch Nails played 178 shows across three continents and played with bands like Marilyn Manson, Femme to Femme, Hole, Faith No More. God, I love Faith No More. <laughs> you want it all, but you can't have it. It's yeah. a good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in your face, but you can't grab it. <laughs> Definitely did. Uh, they also played with the Violent Femmes, Tool, Primus, Ween, The Flaming Lips, Beat Meat Fanifesta. Beat Who's the little daisies <laughs> make them come up? Who's the little daisies make them come up? I was so close to getting through all these. <laughs> beat Meat Manifesto and... No, Meat Beat. You still did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you still messed it up. <laughs> oh, wow. David God. Bowie was the last one. That's about, all you need to know. How does that rear its own head, you know? <laughs> one of the shows they played was on the 25th anniversary of Woodstock on August 13th, 1994. This show was plagued with issues, including overcrowding, having sold 135,000 tickets, and having approximately half a million people show up. God. This this show was like the perfect recipe for another... Uh, uh, what was the fest in Europe? Uh, yeah, Metal Fest or whatever. Yeah. Monster, was it Monster Fest? Monster Fest. Yeah. Monsters of Rock. Yeah. Monsters yeah. Of Rock. Yeah. This is like the perfect set of circumstances for another one of those. Luckily, it's incredible it no one died. Or they did and we just, aren't <laughs> we just don't yeah, know. We just not know. <laughs> we just china it up. At yeah. least it was not people in the mud. <laughs> people may have gone... Gone missing. <laughs> that was a good joke. Um, yeah. It was it was a disaster, uh, but it, it it actually was super good for their career. Uh, so it also rained the entire time they were there, even being dubbed Mudstock. The band arrived the night before they were meant to play and decided to take it easy, so they stayed on their bus overnight. They were woken up by a crowd of people outside their bus early in the morning because a power line had fallen on their bus overnight, and the whole thing was like electrified yeah. like the, there current was running through it yeah. oh my god through this whole bus. you touched the thing and you're dead yeah he said he woke up and he looked out the window and there was cameras and people being like don't touch anything he's like we're all in our boxers we don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going what on. is happening he's trying to sleep <laughs> um and so luckily they were able to get off and not have any issues no one died from that and everything was okay but before they went on stage the whole band decided to wrestle in a mud pit backstage they just saw a couple of people wrestling and they're like yeah that seems like something we want to do and so they all went on stage looking super muddy and sweaty then while on stage the venue was having a lot of technical difficulties which made it very difficult for the band to perform and then on top of that since they were all muddy like Trent said that he had mud in his ears and then, like, in his hair. And so anytime he would move his head, he would just get slapped by his hair. That was Ugh. straight back into his eyes. Yeah, so he Gosh. it was a horrible show for him. Uh, but approximately 250,000 people saw them perform, and they said that they stole the show. 
This was this fully pushed the band into the limelight. No one had any issue playing the band anymore like MTV or any radio station, and they even won a Grammy in 1996 for their performance of the song Happiness in Slavery at this event. And you can see a lot about this on that self-destruct documentary. Uh, like right after they play, Trent is like, that's the best set we've ever played. I felt so good. I had no problem just like completely giving in to everything I felt. And then he's like, then I heard a tape and I thought it was fucking awful. And he, <laughs> he maintains that he thinks it is so bad. And this this really pushed them so far and he still hates it. Yeah. But you can watch this whole this whole uh, set online remastered, and it is so fucking cool. So fun. <laughs> like they're just caked in mud. It's gonna it be so fun. Debauchery. Yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> That's amazing. like a show that like. And he said from the start, he was like, "The only reason we took this gig, doing this, is because they paid a shitload of money to <laughs> yeah. us." Yeah. So he didn't care about like the integrity of the show or anything. So you could just tell that they were just having they so much fun they on stage. They kind of had to, and yeah. they definitely, yeah people were like this was the act of the entire thing and that's why they it was so good because they were like fuck it like this has been a, a wild ride so far so like we may as well just have fun with it and that keep going obviously showed through when they played and so another leg of the tour was the band's time with as we spoke of david bowie so david bowie was understanding that he was playing with uh for a different genre and a lot of people didn't know the stuff like his stuff like they used to not only a different genre but a totally different generation of fans because these people coming to see nine inch nails are 20 years younger than bowie's fan base well and bowie played like you know whatever he played his stuff was so unique in the 70s that it was like way way different in the 90s and so yeah he was like what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna bring on this band nine inch nails who's the biggest band in the nation right now um and so a ton of people who came to the shows were there to see nine inch nails and not david bowie and so they figured out a way to keep the people there who were there for the band and not for bowie nine inch nails would open the show and play their set it was lively, loud, and aggressive, the standard now for the band. Then Bowie would come out and play five songs with the band. They played both Nine Inch Nails songs as well as David Bowie songs. Trent even played saxophone on David Bowie's Subterraneans. Then the last song they played together was Hurt. Then Bowie would begin his official set as Nine Inch Nails would leave the stage. It was a brilliant way of letting the fans dip their toes into Bowie's theatrical world rather than having to take it all at once. There's a performance on YouTube with, I think it's from 95, and it's like haunting hearing David Bowie sing Hurt, like them so, together, because yeah. they're harmonizing together yeah. on the track. It's so good. Such a beautiful song. Yeah. Such a beautiful song. Need to yeah. watch that. We'll, we'll post something yeah. on, the, on the social media. It's a long performance. We could just probably cut it out. Unless Ethan is making this up like yeah. I did. No, 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 this is real. I, I, I actually actually watched it today to get the 95 year on it, so it's real. All right, I promise. We've had our facts checked. I was like, cause I, to get the year 95, I had to look today because I couldn't remember what year it was. We've all learned our lessons yeah, from like, my I'll, mistake. I'll yeah. never say something without looking it up first. Yeah, unless we throw allegedly into yes. uh, So while the tour was successful, it was draining for Trent and the rest of the band. Trent had actually lost his dog, Maze, while on the tour when the dog tried to jump on a railing and 
fell 50 feet to his death. That's just so sad. Watching that happen. Yeah. I, yeah. That would fuck me up so bad. I think yeah. I would jump right Yeah. Out. It's so sad. It's my turn. Trent actually canceled a couple of shows to be able to deal with the, with the loss that he had just uh, incurred. So he considered his dog his last attachment to the quote-unquote normal world. And he also uh, had a, a horrible allergic reaction. Not caught... to the dog. The dog is dead. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, which caused a rash all over his entire body. And on top of those bizarre and unlikely things, Trent was continuing to struggle with drugs and alcohol. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Don't take my bit. <laughs> uh, oh, I, baby! I'll kill you where you sit. I'll come across this card table so fast. If you're not, I mean, if you don't do it all, hey, man, it's open. I, I made it blue and red. That's, that was for both of us. Prime real estate, my guy. I know when to play my cards. <laughs> So Trent decided after he was done with the downward spiral, he was done working on his own music for a while. He knew that he had to kind of take a break from this hugely successful album. He knew that anything that he put out after this album was going to be compared to the downward spiral for quality, and he didn't want to deal with that. So he decided the best action would be to work behind the board for a little bit. That's kind of a crazy thought. I feel like that is most artists debut out like when they are as big as this level it's like their first album everyone compares to or maybe their sophomore album rather this is the third album and it's somehow the standard yeah, yeah. well and most people are just like all right we have to capitalize this on this as quick as we can we like, need to keep we need two, to put, years, yeah, two years two years two years yeah. and he didn't do that which is awesome yeah. yeah yeah so he decided to take a step back and work as a producer for a while so he was the producer and engineer on marilyn manson's sophomore album antichrist superstar which came out in 1996 i wasn't born with enough middle fingers <laughs> oh that's my that's my favorite manson album God. also the song where he gets away with saying the n-word just right in it huh oh yeah it. didn't know it. that <laughs> it's, it's right in there good Oh my gosh. So he definitely didn't stop working on things for Nine Inch Nails, but he wasn't as active as his time between Broken and the Downward Spiral. He spent some time alone in California in an isolated home in the mountains, but didn't love that. He thought he was really going to enjoy the isolation, but he said that it was just more frightening than anything. I can't imagine a more ideal situation to record in. Yeah. Like, I would love that so much. But like, he wasn't he wasn't recording at that time. He was just in the mountains. Like even riding away from people. Even better. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> I, say, I don't just, have to do anything yeah, and less. I also don't have to see or talk to like, people. <laughs> I fantasize like just being where I'm at right now and just not having to do anything. Yeah. It's true. You guys don't get it. <laughs> you guys, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> so in 1995, while he was on tour, he found a place in New Orleans. So he retreated to that when California was no longer suiting him. This is also where he set up his studio for Nothing Records, where he put the door from Sharon Tate's house. When he got stuck, he brought in producer Bob Ezrin, who had worked with a ton of bands, including Kansas, Rod Stewart, U2, James Taylor, Jane's Addiction, and Trent's original band, Heroes, A Kiss. Now, 
in where the did, outline you've written Taylor Swift. Yeah, where did you James, James Taylor, Taylor come Taylor. from? You said you said Taylor Swift, and then but then you said James Taylor. <laughs> the so. confidence, though. <laughs> no, you did. If I hadn't brought it up now, yeah, see, I I feel a responsibility to our listeners to let we them have know to what's stay happening. True, yeah, because I I wow. see Taylor Swift, but I hear James Taylor. Let me tell you, it was definitely Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I Good. wrote that a hundred percent sober, and I spoke it seventy percent drunk. So. <laughs> Good. So Ezrin uh, helped Trent when he was struggling with what to do for his next album. He again wanted to be different than what he had done in the past, and so he added a lot more ambient sound to this new album. He got some help from Danny Lohner and Charlie Closer, who were the traveling musicians from his last tour. He also brought in Jerome Dillon, who replaced Chris Chris Vrenna, who uh, Trent and Chris had had a falling out. And so on September 10th, 1998, people got a small teaser of what was to come when MTV played a 30-second clip of one of the songs. And then two months before it came out, Interscope released The Day the World Went Away as the album's first single. After working on it for so long, he had enough material to actually put out two albums. So five years after the Downward Spiral came out and three years after he finished touring, his next album, The Fragile, came out on September 21st, 1999. This album was a huge hit, immediately reaching number one on the charts and selling almost a million copies. And since it was a double album, it actually was considered a double platinum album. I like how when there's no pressure on him, he still puts out like almost four years of material in five. It's almost like he doesn't know how to make bad music. Yeah, it's like he doesn't know how to stop working. It's so cool. And as exciting as the new album was, Nine Inch Nails' name was actually being drugged through the mud a little bit and took away from the excitement. Here we fucking go. Uh, These motherfuckers. So five months before the album came out, two guys, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, killed 15 people and injured 24 more in what would become known as the Columbine High School Massacre. Nine Inch Nails was brought up uh, in discussions about obscene music because Dylan had quoted the downward spiral in his journal two years before the shooting. And Manson also personally gets drugged through this as well. Everyone's ready to blame anyone but the person that did it. Yeah. yeah. They dig <laughs> yep. so hard to even, find an excuse. Even today, yeah. everyone's going to blame something other than yep. just the one, the dickhead that pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yep. 100 percent uh so it went so far as being brought in front of the committee of commerce science and transportation to look at how labels marketed to underage people nothing legally came of this but it was definitely a dark mark on the release of the fragile bunch of little assholes man total bastards it's it's annoying as shit yeah (laughs) yeah it's so unfair to the bands and um or even to people that listen to music because of the way that they aren't like bands now aren't a way to allowed to like market to people right the way they were yeah, yeah. because it's it, anything that you do is so shut off because it's like well yeah. this could be bad so yeah. and i was i was born in 90 so this happened in 99 so i was only nine years old at the time and i would end up getting into music like this just a couple years later in like middle school but having all that so fret it's it's hard to imagine what it would have been like without it and I'm, it's it fucking sucks well yeah. and i i imagine that like 
I, I didn't get into this music at the time, but like I'm sure that like your parents were very frightened. And, like, and as, I, I hit everything for my parents that I listened to. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> I as, made mixtapes and just wrote different other bands on uh, the yeah. CD. Skill it, as we spoke of in the Fifty Cent series. Yeah. <laughs> like you had to hide things because if you didn't, you would get grounded and stuff. And I'm sure that this kind of played a part into that. Because, my mom like, never knew I had a DMX CD in my room. People were so scared of anything that wasn't like pop radio or you know Christian. Music. anything with a questionable agenda yep. yeah and the, and a lot of this be uh, truthfully a lot of like restrictions on music came from columbine oh yeah major that's crazy. that's when the whole uh the parental advisory started because they like basically live streamed that whole ordeal might, didn't they came out like 80s what's it what's 70s the person yeah well best thing that happened for for music <laughs> Wait, what? When you saw parental advisory, you knew that's what you wanted that's to listen to. Yeah, because that's what he wanted stuff. to talk and he wanted to cover that. Yes. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll yes. do an episode on that because it's also super interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, so with the album came three singles and five videos. Interscope put out We're In This Together, The Day the World Went Away, and Into the Void as singles. They released videos for The Day the World Went Away which never saw any airplay were in this together and which had three versions of varying lengths into the void Starfuckers inc and deep deep was also used in the angelina jolie movie laura craft tomb raider which is kind of fun because uh angelina jolie has a reappearance later in nine inch nails career as well oh i actually didn't know that it'll come later all right well please tell us when it does mm-hmm. uh, god i love that movie though the one that I'm talking about? No, just Laura Croft. Oh, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, awesome. yeah I went it's and a... saw it in theaters twice with my dad. My Gee. dad liked it, too. Yeah, I bet, yeah, he, I bet he did. <laughs> Laura, I mean, Angelina Jolie's so hot. Really God, performs. that was in her prime, dude. She really puts out a pretty stellar performance. God, performs. God yeah. that was a great game, too. Those low pixel boobies. Yeah, love them pointy. Oh, <laughs> high res in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they were. That's what everyone was dreaming oh, of. God. Uh, and so one note about the cover of this album, if you haven't seen it, the top one-fifth looks like a waterfall with the Nine Inch Nails logo. And then the bottom four-fifths is red and doesn't really look like anything. It looks very um, – it, it just looks goofy. The red is halfway through the N. Yeah. You can't, it's you like, can't get yeah, you don't even in. see all the letters. Well, correct. Yeah. Yeah, which I think that they did after the fact to kind of build into yeah, like – Yeah. yeah. I was, yeah. Yep. Um, and so this was actually an accident. It was supposed to be a normal-looking – photo of a waterfall but the developing place that they sent the photo to messed up by using some wrong chemicals on the photo and so they destroyed it one-fifth of the way through uh trent and the people who were working on the cover asked to see the image anyway and what they got was the image that became the cover and i think it pretty perfectly represents the album it's chaotic and harsh but still simplistic and beautiful it's like something destroyed, but it becomes more beautiful through the destruction. Yeah. I also love how like Trent's like, I want to see it anyway. Like, yeah. who yeah. says Why that? Would you not? They're yeah. like, hey, I fucked this up. And usually you're like, redo it. But he's like, no, I want to see it. I, I say, why maybe, would you not yeah. as Trent? Yeah. Anyone else exactly. would not. Yeah. yeah. Like, that makes me like, again. always want to see someone's fuck up now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Happy accident. And it became an album. I mean, it became a literal famous album. Yeah. yeah. So. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Fragile is great. And so once the album came out, it was back out on the road for the Fragile. Whew, this is going to be a tough word for me to say. <laughs> so once the album came out, it was back out on the road for the Fragility Tour. Fragility. <laughs> Fragility. So they, it went from November 1999 to July of 2000, playing 75 shows across North America, Europe, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan. 
and playing with the Atari, at, at, and playing with Atari, Atari, <laughs> I know, Atari. I know what the word is. My mouth just doesn't want to say it. Atari. <laughs> and playing with Atari Teenage Riot, Skin Game, A Perfect Circle, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blink-182, The Chemical Brothers, and our personal heroes, Foo Fighters, who played at the annual Australian festival called Big Day Out. Is it bad that I like A Perfect Circle more than Tool? I do like a perfect circle more than no. Tool. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Tool's kind of pretentious. Yeah, yeah. A I mean, perfect still, circle. Don't get me wrong. I do like Tool. Yeah, yeah. Really it's just like a, perfect a perfect circle has more like it's not as uh, like intricate and long. Like it's more to the point with their songs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Somebody's like shaped to the rhythm of a wardrobe. Yeah. Don't give me an eleven song, eleven minute song that's got nine and a half minutes of instrumental. Yeah. Please <laughs> just get to the point already. <laughs> please. Um. Um. So. The lineup was the guys who helped out with the album and past tour mates. Robin Fink, Danny Loner, Jer- Jeremy Dillon, and... I, know, say, I think I that's know. Jerome. <laughs> I know, I'm just freaking... I'm barely here. Uh, Jerome Dillon so and Charlie Clauser. This is what happens when we get together. <laughs> During the tour, another remix album came out called Things Fall Apart in November 2000, which truthfully didn't do very well. Wow. Then they recorded the tour and eventually put out a DVD of the concert called And All That Could Have Been, which actually itself came with a CD called Still, which had stripped-down versions of some Nine Inch Nails, known songs, as well as some others. But the biggest... But the biggest thing that happened during the tour was Trent's drug and alcohol problems came to a head in June of 2000. He had been drinking and using cocaine heavily through this entire time, and had a heroin overdose in London. So he thought that some China white heroin was actually cocaine, and so when he snorted some, he basically immediately passed out. He had like that Uma Thurman thing, you know? He just... Pulled the old Uma. Yep. Wow. Then ended up down, just like Uma. I don't know what you're talking about. Pulp Pulp Fiction, Fiction, dude. Oh, okay. One of the best movies of all time. Pulp Fiction, dude. One of the only 100 rated on Rotten Tomatoes movies. Yeah. Come so, on, dude. Pulp Fiction. Uma you, Thurman. What do you know about pop culture, Tony? Yeah. Come on, Tony. God. Sure, Christ. Dude. Thank you, Austin. Jesus I love Christ, you. I love you so much. Yeah, I love you too, man, obviously. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How about it? So he was luckily revived, but shows had to be canceled for him to recover. So once the tour was over, Trent went back to New Orleans to try and figure himself out. The overdose didn't end his drinking and drug use, but it did make him open his eyes that there was there was something wrong. And so after a, a year after he got home, he made the decision that it was time to get clean. And I'm and, so glad he did because he's finna put out my second favorite Nine Inch Nails release. Strap in. So on July 11th, 2001, he checked himself into a rehab clinic in New Orleans. When he got out, he was clean and fairly clear-headed. And he took this new mentality and started working on his next project. So he recorded this album at Nothing Studios in New Orleans from September to December 2001. And he wanted it to be more ambient still than the fragile. So he was really starting to try and move away from this hard industrial sound that he had become famous for eight years earlier. A lot of the themes, again, looked inward towards Trent's own insecurities, but they also dealt with the addiction that he had now 
overcome, as well as the terror attacks that happened in America just three months prior. And when he started this album, it was literally the same month that they had happened. Mm -hmm. So Alan Mulder, who had worked as the mixer for the Downward Spiral and the Fragile, was brought in to produce this album, along with another person who will become very important in Trent's life, Atticus Ross. Another person who helped out was Leo Herrera, touring drummer Jerome Dillon, and Foo Fighters' main man, Dave Grohl. The Foo Fighters! Who played drums on seven of the 13 songs. I actually think it's 14 songs. Honestly, that makes sense why this album has my favorite song on it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Dave yeah. Grohl helped out a lot. And and Trent Reznor and Dave Grohl do like a lot of stuff together over the years. That's just so tight. Just to, just they tour together and they work on each other's projects a lot. That's that's all. What and, a great friendship. And so on New Year's Eve 2004, Trent announced that the album was done. And so 5 months later on May 5th, 2005, with teeth was released it was well received reaching number one on the charts and selling 1.1 million copies this is my favorite nine inch nails album broken is my is my favorite release period so good since that's an ep this is my favorite album but this is also kind of where i where i fell off of nine inch nails i never really listened to much after this but this album something about it is so amazing because it almost encompasses his sobriety in a way like with uh with downward spiral he he made everything like it sounds like an instrument but like no one could play it this is like so stark you can hear all the the beats and all the industrial stuff separate from all the instruments and everything and it all blends so well together it's so it's amazing i i love it so much but it also is Hard for me to listen to because it is my psychotic ex's favorite album. Oh, no. <laughs> so I get a lot Shit. of PTSD. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Don't you hate when that happens? That's pretty, it sucks, That's right? so Music's rough when you get something associated with it's someone like you that. you listen to a song and you're like so into uh, it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck. Shit. Son of a bitch. So yeah, that's a little insight into How about it? <laughs> Austin has had some crazy He has. Yes, you have. <laughs> that's why I keep it to a bare minimum. <laughs> uh, if you've listened to any of Austin's music, one of his exes literally said to him, why don't you write any songs about me? And Austin said, you would not want me to write a song <laughs> about I literally you. told her, she said, I hope you write a song about me someday. And I said, you better hope I don't. And I, I definitely have. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers Woo! to you. Cheers to you, unnamed ex-girlfriend of Austin. <laughs> Um, so this this album. I swear I'm not complaining. This this one was this was a doozy. I I, I remember Austin. I remember. So the album was originally going to be called Bleed Through, but Trent thought that it may have invoked images of a tampon commercial. That's where Trent draws the line. (laughs) Period. Period. Exactly. Yeah. I guess the band Bleeding Through did not have the same thought process on this. <laughs> nope. Oh yeah. When I think of that, all I think is Tampax. That's exact. It's first thing. Tampax. Bleeding Through. <laughs> uh, and a month before the album was officially released, spanning from March 26th to April 2nd, Trent held listening parties in 13 cities across the U.S. where people could hear the album in its entirety. And those who showed up got a 7-inch single that had uh, the hand that feeds and home on it. And this was the beginning of very 
I'm going to say brilliant and unique marketing that Trenton Interscope came up with to promote the band. I honestly wish that this was still a thing for like big bands because I would go to stuff like that. That would be so much fun it's just to like, so cool like have a party, yeah. like hear it, like as like maybe the night it's coming out or something yeah. like yep. that would be so cool. There are plenty so of bands cool. that still do the you like know, release like shows a si- yeah. or like a single that is two songs on a seven inch. But yeah, yeah but the release party, though, yeah. yeah it's so cool. cool. Yeah. So after the. I'm just happy you guys are <laughs> so, so after the album came out, Trent released the multi-tracks for The Hand That Feeds and Only. And he will do this for the rest of his albums on various songs. And if you guys don't know what multi-tracks are, basically they are um, – they are Every single track, like that's on the exactly. song. So yeah. it's like guitar, drums, bass, guitar two, guitar three, sample, sample. So that people can edit it. He encouraged people to remix his songs and he loved Pretty the fact unique. Yeah. He loved the fact that people could do what he wanted. Like he didn't think of this stuff as his. He thought of it as like the people's and people could do whatever he wanted, which is so unique. I mean, if you're looking at like, you know, Lars Ulrich or anything like that, like there's so many lawsuits out there where it's like people are so upset that people are stealing other people's songs. He was mm-hmm. the exact opposite. He mm-hmm. was like, I want you to fuck with this. He was and like, this is something I've so created. Cool. What can you like, create? Like take it? something that I made and like show me how you hear it. And, and he will only get more into this as time goes on, which we will get to in a little bit. Um, so Every Day is the Same was the single and was supposed to have a video along with it, but it was never completed. But Every the day, day is exactly the same. You can't hear that song in Max's voice. <sighs> oh, oh, no, shit. I'm sorry. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, but they did do a video for Right Where It Belongs. So, Every Day is the Same is on the movie Wanted with Angelina Jolie as well. And, and McVeigh. Yeah, uh, the guy for you that played young. James McVeigh. Yeah, yeah the yep. guy that played Professor X as, yeah. a, as a young guy. I yeah. mean, he also played the guy on Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah. He's, oh. also, he's just like a very well-known yeah, actor. He was James split. McVeigh, yeah. He's yeah, a super yeah, good he, actor. Yeah, yeah. he played, well he played the one with the hooves for feet. Yeah. On, yeah. Yeah, you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Tennis. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Tennis. Yeah. yeah. But I which get is, called all the which time. Which is somehow reason. Austin's big nickname. <laughs> My high school nickname. I don't know why. Oh, no. <laughs> Mr. Right. Tumnus. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> God, I hope you're listening to this. I hope you're here. Um, Please. But the most, the most important video that came from this collection was only. It was the video that I spoke of in the last episode that had the Newton's Cradle and the pin art. It wasn't closer as we spoke of in the last episode, so that was a mistake on our part. But it's uh, that's not why it's important. This video was 90 to 95% CGI. Uh, and it's it's a really good video. You guys should go watch it for real. Uh, but it was directed by David Fincher. And just like Atticus Ross, he would play a huge part in Trent's life in a couple of years. But now the band was set on another tour. This one was called Live With Teeth. He gathered an almost entirely new band, this time consisting of Aaron North on guitar, Jordy White on bass, Jerome Dillon, who is a returning member, uh, and he actually had to drop out in October because of heart issues and was replaced by Alec, Sarah Pettis, and Josh Freeze on drums and Alessandro Cortini on keys. You did great. Thank you, you did so much. Great job. You made it. I li- 
Thank you. <laughs> the tour would last from March 2005 to July 2006, and they would play 162 shows. They played with bands like the Dreads and Dolls, Eagles of Death Metal, Saul Williams, Bauhaus, and Queens of the Stone Age. Fun little thing. Uh, the dude from Queens of the Stone Age that sings and plays guitar also plays in Eagles of Death Metal. How about a really that? great documentary about they they had that whole Paris yeah. uh, terrorist attack during yeah the they had that huge documentary in Nice yeah Eagles of Death Metal not that it has anything to do with anything but just go watch go it watch it's it. good it's really yeah, yeah. really it's very good, good. Yeah. Uh, so while on tour the band again recorded themselves Eagles of Death uh, no 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 Queens of the Stone Age Dave Grohl plays drums for them all the time yeah yeah fills it, it, it the amount of Connections yeah, between Nine Inch Nails and Dave man. Grohl is actually pretty crazy. Between every band we've covered, yeah, yeah. he has a guitarist that ends up playing in Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Again, how does that happen? Again, I love the universe that we're yeah, building. It's great. So while they were on tour, the band again <laughs> recorded themselves and put out a DVD of their show called "Beside You in Time." It did really well, reaching the top of the Billboard radio video charts. And after the tour, Trent started work on his next album, but he was beginning to see a change in his environment. His label, Nothing Records, was doing his own thing in the hands of John Malm, Trent's first manager, all the way back to his very first album. And we are going to come into some problems. <laughs> some problems. Uh, and Trent, yeah, as, as we just said, Trent and John weren't speaking. Trent decided before the album came out to leave the album behind and move to new, from New Orleans to Los Angeles. He put on his website that Nothing Records was done, and he would eventually sue Malm for fraud, and Malm would actually countersue. Big countersue. Yes. <laughs> We're uh, talking lots of money. So Trent and Nothing did some revolutionary things with this album, like start up an internet radio channel that played basically only Nothing artists, and they also released multi-tracks so people could remix them. And this was way back. This is not... It's like 2005. Like, yeah, this yeah. is not something you could just like making a whole radio channel yeah. for one. This is for like your own thing. That's the beginning insane. of this the is like internet yeah, pioneer exactly. stuff. Yeah, to, yeah. like normal. Like people, I was yeah. playing fucking Neopets. Yeah, and he was so <laughs> deep into it. Uh, but it was time for Trent to move on. All right, so you kind of uh, skimmed over that lawsuit. So let's jump into that. Please so Trent elaborate. was <laughs> awarded $3 million in court, but they also adjusted for inflation, which bumped it up to $5 million because it was the previous 15 years of withholdings. And then, <laughs> so apparently Trent like didn't notice these things the past 15 years until he got sober. And he's like, oh. This guy's fucking me. This guy's, yeah. I this mean, mo- that is... happens more often yeah. than once. So uh, this guy are... also tried to sue him for $2 million, so he got he got reamed hard <laughs> yeah. for yeah. three yeah. extra million. Tried to million. sue him for $2 million yeah. and, and, and ended, ended up, up paying five. five. Yeah. yeah. So recorded in Los Angeles between September and December 2006, Trent and producer Atticus Ross worked on a new concept album that took place in 2022 in a dystopian world in which America had been hit with a series of terror attacks and now had to be rebuilt just two years from where we are now so i would say we're pretty on track for getting there yeah we're (laughs) uncomfortably on track we're We're almost there i like it yeah no it definitely seems like we are taking the steps we need to be exactly that uh so this album was much more political than any of the material he had written in the past and it was pretty polarizing when it came out because it was so political it was aptly named year zero based on the year civilization collapsed it was released on april 17th 2000 
It was released on April seventh. It was two thousand and seven. It was released. It was released on April seventeenth, two thousand seven, and did well, reaching number two in the charts, but only selling just under five hundred thousand copies. Like I said, it was pretty polarizing. People love talking about politics, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. People you just like love to get oh, in. Actually, my dear. kind of thing is like dropping something pretty neutral. That I know will make people talk about politics. Just Let's hear see. a neutral statement. It definitely from does not polarize <laughs> you know, an entire family dinner when you politics know, come I up. think I'm going to vote. That's <laughs> all I say. It doesn't completely change the narrative just, just of say, a nice night with all your family. Thanksgiving all you, has never been more quiet. All you have to say is, I think I'm voting this year. <laughs> and boom. <laughs> that's the end of it. Really separates it. the room immediately. Uh, so this album is where the band really starts to get pretty innovative with their marketing. They built a whole universe around the album, including a game, also called Year Zero, which is less like a game and more like a marketing campaign in, a, in and of itself. The game actually came out on February 2nd, two months before the album was released, and acted as a scavenger hunt for fans. It all started when a t-shirt was released for the tour that the album was going to be toured on. And on that shirt, it had the words, I'm trying to believe, written on the back. And when a fan Googled, I'm trying to believe, it led them to a website of the same name. And this website was built by 42 Entertainment at the request of Nine Inch Nails. And it hey, talked. I love that your phone just turned on. <laughs> yeah, how yes, about it? What world we're in right now. Um, Fucking Google, how? Skynet bullshit. <laughs> it's, about to, it's about to be self aware. Yeah. Oh, dear. So it talked about a tainted water supply, and the uh, 42 Entertainment actually added websites all over the place over the next couple months, even putting out a phone numbers and stuff that fans could call to get automated responses from the in-universe phone people. Tony, you need to start taking notes. These people are pretty good marketers. You could learn something. This is way above me. You're I feel I feel like at, like hidden clues, but I was thinking the other day like nothing. at least getting like a like a voicemail where people could call and leave messages, but I haven't that'd really cool. looked at that'd be fun. I mean, if, if if anyone's reached out to Alan Cross so far, God bless you. These guys are doing way more yeah. than we could yeah. ever think of. I have a pretty, pretty fragile personal complex, so I don't think we should do anything that involves people leaving oh, Austin, for us. Oh, <laughs> Austin, we know what we need to do. We need to keep you out of the mix when yeah, we listen yeah. to stuff. If you do, just don't tell me. We won't it. tell you if we do. <laughs> Um, there were also transcripts the fans had to decipher and even images and codes written into some of the songs. So uh, what would happen is the songs would have like, there was a song called static.mp3, which we'll get into in a second, that when you put it into a uh, vectroscope, it showed an image or it showed a phone number that you had to call and these phone numbers would have codes written into it. It's it's literally bonkers. Yeah, the yeah, amount of stuff. What, they what, what is a vectroscope? What yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We've had in past episodes Tony say vectroscope, and both of us. Yeah. Said, oh yeah. Yeah. One of those. yeah, yeah. No, okay. No, no, no. This is me realizing I don't know what a vectroscope is. It so. is. So what a vetri- what a vectroscope is is a f- physical image of the audio being played. So they physically made the audio look like images. Exactly. Okay. So in the image you would see like a hand reaching down or you would see like a, f- a phone number that you would have to call and it would just sound like static. It would just sound like indecipher- indecipherable static. But in when you would put it through a vectroscope, it would you would show a physical image and stuff. And and um, Tool has done this. Like this isn't like a new thing. I think it may have been done at, 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 at this, this time. time it may yeah. have 
may have been a new thing but yeah it's kind of a common thing now but it's it's still like no matter how common it is it's still super unique to do so these guys were kind of the innovators doing it doing it in 2007 so the songs that i just spoke of that had the images on the vectorscope and stuff like that were released in secret and put on physical flash drives which were physically hidden in the bathrooms in portugal spain and england which the band played at in february again two months before the album came out so people physically found like flash drives just hidden behind urinals and toilets and stuff and they were like i don't know what this is they would plug it in and there'd be nine inch nails unreleased nine inch nails viral marketing before viral was the thing yeah the stuff they did was honestly so crazy so i will share the wikipedia page that breaks down kind of the timeline of how the 42 entertainment nine inch nails did all this because it's legitimately nuts how much work they did and how much like physical versus virtual work they did because it's it's crazy they sent emails to people they put up physical billboards around the world and then handed flyers to people which led them coordinate based to like there was like one of the things was there was a, a just a like a phrase under a bridge in one of the cities and that phrase led you to a website which led you to an in in universe page based on that kind of stuff and another thing about this is it's so cool you you can't do that without the kind of fan base that nine inch nails had yeah, like you so need devoted. people that are willing so to do illegal to your, stuff yeah 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 to your entire life yeah they yeah have to know who's going to think of that kind of thing other than a desperate person yeah and again this was in 2007 which was the birth of commercial internet for people yeah. i mean this was still like dial up internet yep yeah like i'm i'm still playing neopets like that's we said. exactly yeah i'm playing tibia at this oh time. tibia <laughs> RuneScape, maybe but oh runescape tibia yeah. mostly definitely oh, dude yeah, was, i'm dialing up dude right i was runescaping hard at the library guy <laughs> the <laughs> public <laughs> library yeah. one hour of internet till time. five o'clock it's just that he was all the way in tune with computers as they were coming around. Yeah. Yeah. Trent was he everything that happens commercially with computers, he was right there side yeah. by side with. And again, this came from even the beginning the time that he put out Pretty Hate Machine, like he was working on everything on a computer. So yeah. he was like fully in tune with what computers could do. So he knew this was like a campaign that could be successful. And it was. I mean, 42 Entertainments even won like a few awards for this like quote unquote alternate reality game. It's I would crazy. really like to know the person that did the majority of the footwork because this was a lot of like <laughs> brainstorming to think of how to use technology to do this stuff. And yeah. who went and so wrote it, this yeah. shit under the bridge. Yeah. Like who like, went and yeah, did yeah. the graffiti? Like, yeah. And, and again, this was all around the world. Like this wasn't like just, you know, something online. It was like multiple dates and multiple cities and multiple countries and stuff that they, they did this. In. Very coordinated. Yeah. yeah. So coordinated. It's genius. Um, but back to the band who was now on tour, they went across Europe, Asia, Australia, playing 91 dates from February to September, 2007. They played with the Silver Sun pickups, the Dandy Warhols, Alec Empire, and again, Dave Grohl and the Foof. God, again. Yeah, God. So good. Dude, the Silver Song pickups are really good too. Yeah. I made you yeah. listen to them a while back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. So, so they're so good. Uh and when the tour was over, a remixed album came out called Year Zero Remixed, which didn't really do much. A lot of his remix albums does don't do much, which is kind of unfortunate, but except for fixed. Except for fixed, yeah. The the broken yep. 
uh, remix Where which came out people redo stuff from broken yeah yeah but this would be the last record that trent would put out under the interscope name trent had an issue with how much the label was selling year zero for over in australia where it had a 30 dollar price tag he wasn't cool with this and he and the label couldn't come to terms on an agreement so in 2008 he left the label and started his own label called the null corporation which would be where he would put out his next album. This makes a lot of sense about why Trent is so vocal about online piracy. Like, he does not care if you steal his music online. And there are many performances where he's like, go steal my music. And you will find out as we go through the last uh, couple albums he puts out, he encourages it, like Ethan said. Oh, yeah. And I love that with... Everything, any band I've ever been in, I've never charged anything for any music. We, I've paid plenty to record music, but I would, I just want people to listen to. It's Please like, listen yeah. to what I have to say. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's hard in this world of of easy to pirate songs. So just lean in. Just Who yeah. Cares? Just go for it. Yeah. yeah. Take what I have to say. Maybe yeah. you'll like it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so he and Atticus Ross, along with some others, worked on the album for. 10 weeks making a 36 song all instrumental album in february of 2008 he put out a post on his website saying two weeks that's basically all it said and then lo and behold two weeks later march 2nd 2008 they released ghosts one through four this was released on nine inch nails website the first album was free of charge and then the other three were available for purchase they had many different varieties of the album ranging from free to 250 copies of the album which had 300 dollar price tags which sold out in a matter of days dude this song has like 36 tracks on it this album has mm. 36 yeah. tracks and it yeah. sold so fast yeah. Yeah. I, I listened through it earlier it's it's good i like that kind of ambient instrumental yeah. stuff it's it's good stuff yeah he he did this several times with where they would change the price point based on the quality of the of the download you could download the not so great quality for free or you could get the high highly done highly yeah polished the very very polished version yeah. yeah uh and then he released another album on may 5th of 2008 just a couple months later called the slip which was again online on his website and this album was entirely free he put it out with no promotion and literally wanted it to be free even saying this one's on me it came out in cd form as well but only had 250,000 copies made then the band released a 400 gigabyte download of three of their shows completely unedited in hd it had all angles from all of the cameras from their shows in raw form so was this one for free too then yep yeah, yeah. It, it, it 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 uh it was released on BitTorrent, which was a torrent website, which is illegal. Or I mean, it wasn't legal; it was a file sharing website, and so he allowed it to be downloaded for free. And from it came a fan DVD, uh, who a fan basically edited all the copies into a a comprehensive <laughs> concert, which he called. Uh, another vision of the truth, which was put out in 2009. And, and this That's is in so 2009. Cool. Like, I didn't hear about BitTorrent until, like, yeah. high school. So, like, so ahead of the game. Yeah, it's he was crazy. He was, like, well, 2009. Is I mean, that was, wh- that was when we were oh, in. Yeah, I didn't start, Austin. like, I didn't. Okay, let me rephrase that. I didn't start touring. <laughs> like, something doesn't add up here. <laughs> let me rephrase that. We were six years old in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't start actively using Torrent until probably, like, 2010, 2011. Yeah, I was definitely yeah. out of school when I yeah. was using Yeah, and, like, yeah. he was, like, 
Yeah. You could download a 400 gig all angles version of his concert from the source itself, which is crazy. Like this was file sharing at its purest. And I'm yeah. sure he had was legal. And and you could see it because no one would chase after you for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure it so would super download popular. super fast. It's crazy. And then yeah, this 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 DVD called the uh, Dether Vision of the Truth was put out and it was very very successful. Um and so Trent, I think I think Trent put out a lot of this stuff like for free or for very very cheap because of his fallout with Interscope, who was he was having trouble with um, the prices and so he basically just did as like a huge middle finger to Interscope, yeah. basically saying like this is my work, I'm gonna put it out for the price I want and because I had so much struggle with you guys, I'm gonna put it out for free. Like, That's I don't care. That is Trent to a T. So many things he does are fueled by his how he feels against recording labels and stuff like that, like. Just whatever he can do as a fuck you to this label that fucked him over, as yeah. we've seen with TVT, and now we're seeing with Interscope, who originally was so accommodating. Now we're in the same we're in the same cycle with it. I wish that more more artists were able to be able to do the things he did. Yeah. yeah. To record companies. I mean, I don't think this thing could exist in this day and age. Yeah. Because everything because is so money based. You're, you're, like, you're so as an artist, you're restricted once you sign to a record label. It really yeah. makes you as like it makes me just give even more respect to Trent as like someone who can be like, Hey, fuck this label. And I'm still going to make so much money off this. Even when I'm trying to not make money by giving it away for free. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it shows, yeah, how devoted his fan base was. It's like, we will follow you through this. I'm not trying to make money from this, but like, look, I'm still going to fuck you. I know what I'm like. I know yeah. what I'm about. You guys should have just let me. You guys should have let me run my stuff. Exactly. You know? I would have still made you money, but you decided to fuck me instead. Yeah. The first time you guys got got in the way, I'll jump ship and do whatever. God, it gives me goosebumps. God, so it's cool. awesome. Makes me a little bit hard. And yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. A little hard. Sorry, but pitching uh, it over no, here. Yeah. 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 I've gone from six to nine. Whoa. 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 Awesome. I, I heard it. No, I said no bump in the table, my guy. <laughs> Think about spiders here for a minute over here. <laughs> Uh, so after this, the band went on two tours. The first was called Lights in the Sky, and it was 62 dates from July to December 2008 in North and South America. And then another called Wave Goodbye, where they played 68 shows between February and September 2009 in North America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. And I almost think that this was like Trent's like, I'm done with nine inch nails like because he called it wave goodbye like and he went on a pretty big hiatus after this like i kind of think he thought the band was done there's a lot of times where he has done things thinking this could be easily the end of nine inch nails and if it is so be it yeah and yeah this is just another one of those examples yeah he's ready to put the band in the ground if he needs to which even so makes it true so far back is broken with that song last which uh or where he says uh this isn't meant to last this is for right now yeah like yeah, he has thought this for a long time. Like, this could end at any point. And I think that's what makes the music so pure. Like, he's like, I'm not doing this for a paycheck. I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm doing this. I'm doing everything I it's do for him. For myself. I said it yeah. a million, like, already on these two episodes a lot of times in musical integrity, which is very hard to find. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the nice part about this tour that he does, the Wave Goodbye tour, is that he goes to all these countries. Like, he... He tries to visit as much of his fan base as he can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, how many people do that? Right. So uh, after this tour, he kind of decided to take some time off. 
because he was approached by director David Fincher, who did the only music video that we spoke of earlier in the episode. He was making a movie about Mark Zuckerberg and the birth of Facebook, and he wanted Trent to compose the soundtrack. We're going to start talking about a very indie film here. You probably have heard of <laughs> something, yeah. <sighs> you should go look it up. Uh, Fuckerberg. It's, we'll it's, tell you what it's called here in a minute. You probably haven't heard of it. It's um, called Fuckerberg. So this, so the, Ethan, just keep pounding it in. So it'll joke Fuckerberg. Yeah, but it'll get there. <laughs> Fuckerberg. So, uh, composing was something pretty new for him. He actually had done stuff on like... Um, uh, um, natural born killers. He had done stuff for Quake back in the day. I was waiting for a good time to throw all this in, but yeah, he did the soundtrack for Natural Born Killers, which, God, I fucking love that movie so much. Yeah, pretty problematic movie, but I really <laughs> love it. Yeah, the the Quake video game. He he didn't do anything on that soundtrack, but they were like we everything we've done on this was inspired by that based on you. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um. And so yeah, he was he was actually this was his first like. 100% I'm going to compose the soundtrack for this video. So he pulled in his friend Atticus Ross, and over the next few months, he created the soundtrack. The movie was released in September 2010, and the soundtrack actually won an Oscar in 2011 for Best Original Score, and then the movie actually won a ton of other Oscars. Like, it was a hugely successful yeah. movie. Never actually seen it, so. Uh, neither have I. But did I, we I actually say what the movie's called yet? The, the Social Network. Yeah, it's the called so- The Social Network. Did, but yeah. did we say that? I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's, we did. it's called yeah. The Social Network. It's about Mark Fuckerberg. You might have heard damn. of it. Yeah. <laughs> the Social Network. Yes, that's all. That, that soundtrack was composed by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Trent would again work with Fincher on two other films, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Great which movie. came out in 2011, and then Gone Girl in 2014. He also composed the soundtrack for Bird Box, the Netflix original movie with Sandra Bullock, which came out in 2018, that, that Trent hated. He hated that he had done it, saying it was, liked it. it was a waste of time for him. I remember I remember queuing this on Netflix and seeing Trent Reznor in the thing and being like, oh, okay, here we go. I say, I like that movie yeah, a lot. I, I thought yeah. it was great. Yeah. And he composed the soundtrack for the HBO series The Watchmen, which came out in 2019. We started watching that and just seemed good enough, but kind of fell off it. I think it'd be awesome. I've heard it's awesome. But backing up seven years, he decided to make another album, which uh, at this time he actually signed to Columbia Records, one of the big four, which yeah, is pretty that's cool. Yeah, a big one. He released his next album, Hesitation Marks, on August 30th, 2013, and it actually reached number two on the charts and sold almost 200,000 copies. He brought in a lot of people for this album, actually including Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Holy moly! Just another connection. A little synchronicity there. The album was softer than what he had done in the past, and it was meant to feel more theatrical. It had three singles and one music video. It also birthed two remixes, one of which came out just 10 days after the album came out, and one came out in the beginning of 2014. Once it was out, they embarked on a year-long tour that took them all over the world, playing 119 shows with bands like Explosions in the Sky, Soundgarden, and Stone Temple Pilots. Just another three bands I hope we cover. So, all three all incredible three. bands. I've never heard of Explosions in the Sky. Oh. Explosion. I believe Explosion. they're all instrumental, right? They are all instrumental. And they actually did the whole awesome. soundtrack for the huge movie, Friday Night Lights. Ah! 
Go listen to the album The World Is Not a Cold Dead Place. It's a five-track album that lasts 50 minutes. Okay. In 2015, the band released an instrumental version of The Fragile and With Teeth on Apple Music. And then in 2016, Trent revealed that he was working on another album, which then on December 23rd, the band released Not the Actual Event, which was a reworking of past songs from all the way from uh, uh, Pretty Hate Machine all the way to their stuff. Yeah, Yeah. It was also when Trent revealed that Atticus Ross, the producer that he'd been working with on their last couple albums, had joined the band full time. And this was the first time the band had gotten an additional member in the band's almost 30-year lifetime. It had always been only Trent Reznor, and now Atticus Ross was a full member. Yeah, permanent, yeah. And I feel I can't remember the this is really going to bother me but Trent eventually makes another band and I believe Atticus is one of the members that Let start. me uh jump in here. Yeah, we're going to yeah. Because in 2010 he actually got married or 20 2009 I think he got married and created another band called How to Destroy Angels. Yep, yep. And How to Destroy Angels. And and Atticus Ross was in that and that's a really good band. You guys should go check that out as well. Then in 2017 the band released Ad Violence, which was a sequel to Not the Actual Events, and they revealed that they were actually going to release a third album and create a trilogy out of these three albums in 2018. They were actually approached by the famous documentarian Ken Burns to do the soundtrack for his upcoming docuseries, The Vietnam War. They created an entire album for it, both creating new music and reworking music they had released for The Social Network and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's something that I really love about Trent as a as a producer for soundtracks and stuff. He uses a lot of the stuff he's already done in totally different ways. Well, and it like builds this theme over like multiple movies, even though the multiple movies aren't like in the same universe or even like even near the same genre. So one it's is like, one of those things you can, as soon as you hear it, you're like is this something Trent Reznor did? Yeah, and that's, that's his so skill, cool. though. Like he's mm-hmm. able to take sound and manipulate it to yep. sound like something else. Yep. It's such a unique thing that can be done for different things, but it's still like this. Is, this has Trent's fingerprints on all it, over it, yeah. which is pretty cool. Say, which this doesn't really relate, but it is also ties in, and and we'll cover this at some point too. John Five, who has played for Manson, he's played for Rob Zombie. There's that uh, Rob Zombie movie. Uh, uh, Lords of Salem. The second I heard the first song in that, I was like, "This sounds like something John Five would do." It definitely, it, Bingo. it's, it's yeah. one of those things you can totally you tell can hear the their sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's such a yeah, it's a cool trait to be able to like put your put your mark on stuff and have it be like this fits with the thing that I'm doing this for, but also still have your. Yeah. It does yeah, not sound like it. anything my band I'm known for would do, but it sounds like something it's, I would it's, do. It's yeah. honestly a, a great thing to have to your name. Like People can hear something that they haven't heard before and be like, that's made by this person. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but still have it be unique to this project. Yeah. Yep. So cool. Um, and then on June 22nd, 2018, the band released Bad Witch. This was an entirely new album and not the final installment in the trilogy that they were working on. It did well, reaching number 12 on the Billboard charts, and then they went back out on the road. They played a very small tour, playing only eight shows over the next five months. So, truly, I'm not even sure that this counts as a tour, because it was almost one a month. It's just like one off. Yeah, he's just, yeah. he's honestly just probably just having a great time. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it was all for himself, yeah. exactly. And then uh, that 
pretty much brings us to today. And so there's talks that the band is going to go back out on the road this year in 2020, but nothing has been announced yet. And so really that's the story of nine inch nails. One of the most influential, most aggressive, most passionate bands anyone will ever see 30 plus years, nine albums, six EPs, three remix albums and countless controversies later the band is still strong as ever yeah they're not stopping it he, trent is not stopping it and this was something hard for me it came to me to pick a band and i was like i really want to do this either way and i know that it's not done and maybe someday we'll gloss back over some stuff he's done since but it was some something i couldn't wait to do it was yeah. such a fun series yeah. to do. like <laughs> trent Reznor is so interesting and nine inch nails is so interesting and when i said like we glossed over controversies like they get a pretty big controversy with like uh, uh courtney love after uh kurt cobain's death oh, yeah. and he had like he had a lot of current controversies that we really didn't even get into but like he stayed true to himself he has through been every single through thing the mud yeah and he has never never wavered yeah, yeah. he does and not he, back down and he is one of the most like level-headed people you'll see in the industry nowadays i mean he's a, literally an oscar-winning composer yeah. like yeah. And Which is what most composers don't even get the dream of doing, and he is. Oh, man, I have a weird amount of respect for Trent Reznor. Even watching the – if you watch the self-destruct uh, uh, documentary for when they did these this this tour right after Downward Spiral came out, this is at the height of debauchery for Nine Inch Nails when drugs are at their highest. They're trashing green rooms, but every interview he does on that is – he is always thinking. He's yeah. You can tell, like when he yeah. talks, he's like thinking about yeah. everything he says, no yeah, matter he what. Say anything. Yeah. About, so like it's not it. rehearsed. It's like he's thinking every single time. He's a genius. In yeah. It. And it's yeah. yeah everything it. he says is so intelligent. Yeah. It's not like anything he says is super controversial or anything like that. It's just like I want to make this music for myself, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And do, if I you guys love it, I don't care what people th like. I want people to like it, but. Whatever. If you don't, yeah. yeah. And and since the beginning of his time, he said, if my music makes it on the radio, that's because the radio has chosen it to. Like, I don't want to make any music that's built for the radio. Exactly, yeah. And so the radio has they have to, conformed itself. They have to change itself. what they want to allow me to be on it. Yeah, like, and and so he's never changed his, his outlook on anything. And Nine Inch Nails is an incredible This gets me so jacked. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm so, so glad we did it. <laughs> that's it. That's Nine Inch Nails. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series. Um, if you guys want to tell us anything that we got right or got wrong, if you want to tell us how much you enjoyed it, or if you have, uh, uh, you know, ideas for bands you want to hear us That's to gonna do. That's going to be a running theme with this entire podcast. A anytime, tell us what you hate, tell us what you love. We We're love always it. listening. Yeah. We and do we, look at our emails. Yep. We have gotten a little bit of hate mail in here. <laughs> I think grown from it. Yeah, absolutely. Austin hated it. You know, I'm a very self-conscious. <laughs> so. Austin took it to heart. Um, <laughs> but if you want to find us on anything, you can find us at We're On In 5, W-E-R-E, -E, no apostrophe, On In 5. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we also have a website, we're on 5com On that website, you can find all of our episodes, where to listen to us. So if you want to share with other people where to find us, you can do that. We also have all the books that we read on there. So if you want to check that out, it's a very good resource for you. Um, if you want to find me, Anton, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AntonIsOnIn5. Um, if you want to find Ethan anywhere. I am Ethan Bonin on Twitter. I'm Bones for Bonin on Instagram. And I'm always going to say it. Email us at weareonin5 at gmail.com. Yeah. Just talk to us. Legitimately. 
yeah. please. We would love it. And yeah. I'll, I'll pitch my social media. I'm on Twitter, T-H-O-M-A-A-A-F. That's three A's. Instagram, Austin underscore Thomas with an H-09. I I don't do much on social media. Just follow follow the uh, the podcast's Instagram, if anything. That's the best place. Tony is on top of it nonstop. Try to post little fun facts yeah. and little little tidbits about, um, you know, the bands that we're doing and any any episodes that we do. So please go check that out. We would truly appreciate it. I'm yeah, bad at people. I'm bad at life. Tony is great at keeping this up. So just follow that. The other thing that you could do that we would love, uh, whatever you're listening to us on, if you could like us and review us, um, obviously we would love a five star review. But if you hate us, let us know that, please, because we will we will yeah. take that. And it, anything you send to us is constructive criticism. So like and review us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. That helps us get seen more. Just and hit that the will stars help us. at this point. Yeah, you don't have to even write anything. Just give just, us the stars you think that we would. would be- amazing we would absolutely love it so um we are going to end it there we i'm sure that you don't want to listen to us much more so if you haven't listened to trent reznor or nine inch nails or if you have and it has been a few years go back and listen to some of their stuff because you could definitely feel the emotion so go check it out yeah and uh,